I appreciate your faithfulness today, and we're going to turn our Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 7. appreciate the church and their faithfulness while I was away as well, and I uh, heard a lot of good feedback from the services, and particularly last week, Brother Soren preached a, a great message, and, uh, and heard he was done by 11.30. I'm not sure if I can beat that, so... Uh, you might be thinking, well, what did you learn at the, at the conference? I was sitting with, um, I was seeing, sitting with our good friend, uh, Pastor Wayne Shemish, one of, the, one of the sessions there. We were just sitting in the ready room, just um, wanted to talk to him about a couple of things. And, and uh, you know, when you get around, uh, around pastors who have, uh, are more seasoned and just uh, wanted to pick his brain about a couple of things, I asked him, uh, Pastor Shemish, what do I need to do to become a better preacher? And he said two things. He said, the first thing is, shave your beard. <laughs> and then the second thing was, preach shorter. So, so one out of two ain't bad today. All right, just... Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, and this is a... A great high point in the history of the nation of Israel. Uh, if you read through in, in verse 1, we see that, that fire had come down from heaven after the, the end of, of uh, praying by Solomon. You see, prior to that, the great many sacrifices that uh, they had, they had um, sacrificed to dedicate the temple. And, and no doubt the, the scenes would have been, uh, in this chapter, it would have been of the momentous variety. Solomon had just completed something that God had designated him to do, the, the completion of the temple. If you uh, just quickly turn back here to 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and we'll begin reading here. Notice there in, um, in verse, uh, verse, uh, verse 7, it says, Now it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to David, my father, for as much as it was in thine heart to build a house for my name, thou didst well in that it was in thine heart. Notwithstanding, thou shalt not build the house, but thy son which shall come forth out of thy loins, he shall build the house for my name. The Lord therefore hath performed his word that he hath spoken, for I am risen in the room of David, my father, and am set on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised, and have built the house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And in it have I put on the ark wherein is the covenant of the Lord that he made with the children of Israel. So you understand that this was tasked of... Uh, towards Solomon to do the work. And uh, you, you, you know that David, his father, had a great desire to build a house for God, to build a temple for God, but it was not uh, his, his, uh, his will to do, uh, for David to do the thing that he had in his heart. And so here Solomon is, has completed the work. It says in, in chapter 5, verse 1, there clearly thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in all the things that David, his father, had dedicated. So here now was a time where the, the temple had been built up. Uh, it, it was a time that was momentous. You, you, uh, we won't take the time this morning to look at the, how marvelous that temple was with all of its great, uh, great structure, its great beauty, uh, all of the things that, that God had, had uh, put in His blueprint for the temple. We won't take the time, but understand that this was something that was given to Solomon to do. It was something that he had made plans for all of his life. And in fact, it, gave, uh, it, it took seven years of building. In 1 Kings 6.38, we learned that 
And in the 11th year, in the month Bull, which is the eighth month, was a house finished throughout all the parts thereof, and according to all the fashion of it, so was he seven years in building it. And it took seven years, and, and you understand that in that time, there wasn't the machinery that we have today. So this would have taken an immense amount of manpower. It would have taken an immense amount of toil and labor. And yet we, here we are at the, at the opening of it, at the dedication of it, and we see that the fire of God, can you imagine that, comes down. And, and he, he, he burns up all of the sacrifice, and the Spirit of God, the presence of the Lord, fills the whole place. It was a momentous time for the nation of Israel. You could say that this was, a, this was a highly successful time. It was a time of great success, of great triumph. And in order to dedicate this magnificent structure, we see the amount of sacrifices given to honor the Lord. And again, I say it was a truly momentous day. But this not, was not only a momentous day. It was, again, a culmination of the vision that God had given David, but then also passed on to Solomon. This was a culmination of all of their hopes and dreams to build up a house for God. And so this was a, this was a time where the culmination of that was, was real. It was there. It was current. It was also a culmination of the financial sacrifices that people had made to be able to uh, ensure that this temple was built. You, you, you remember earlier on how Solomon challenged the people. And in fact, even before that, David challenged the people to prepare with all their might for this very thing. And so all of the sacrifices that people made as far as their financial and personal, uh, uh, personal gain they had given over to ensure that this temple was built, that was a culmination of that too. Not to mention, as we had already mentioned, all of the labor and all of the toil, all of the, the, the craftsmanship that, uh, that was needed to ensure that this temple was at its greatest and its most magnificent. And this was certainly a high point it was a huge success. But then note with me here that in the midst of that, God really makes a plea to His people. And interestingly, look at, uh, look at 2 Chronicles here, chapter 7. And notice verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. And then notice verse 13, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. And often we quote this verse in regard to the idea of, of revival, the idea of coming back to God. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, this was in the midst of huge success. This, this wasn't actually the situation that the people were at. There was no pestilence. There were no locusts to devour the land. There, 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 was, a, there was no shutting up of heaven where there was no rain. There was no dearth. There was no, there was no drought. And yet, in the midst of this, in answer to Solomon's prayer, God is giving a plea. God is giving a warning. God is, is, is simply reminding them that whilst they're in the midst of success, this isn't a time to turn away from Him. And it is the nature of, uh, of us as people that as we go about in, in our Christian journey, there are some high points in our lives. 
there are some times where we feel victorious, where, where there's some things that have happened, occurred in our lives that we know that God has just done for us. We know that God has put His stamp of approval on. And there might be even some things in your lives that, you've, that God has put in your heart and you're now starting to see it come to fruition in your life. And it's always been the case that when at, we're at the high points of our Christian life, is that when we're in most danger. That's why it is that, that as we, we think about even our youth camp, we had our memorial night uh, a couple of, uh, last Friday, not this, not this Friday, the, the Friday before that. But there was a time where it was a rehearsal of what God had done because we know that even in our young people, whilst the, the youth camp was such a high point and they had gotten so many victories, that there is a danger for them that at the, in the midst of their success, that they start to turn and start to rely upon their own strength that they start to rely upon that high point, that success that has come about in their life. And, and we can be like that as well. We can be like that. We could hear a, a, a message that moves us, that convicts us. We get to a place of perhaps turning and, and going toward God. and It's a high point in our week, that Sunday. And then yet we know this, Monday is coming. And we get back and we can at times, in those times, in the midst of success, turn away. And so we see here in, the, in, in this, the middle of this chapter, God is pleading with His people in the midst of success. He's trying to help them realize that they need God, that they need to come to Him, and, and that he can, he can send them chastening. He can send them those things that will redirect them to, uh, them to Him, but he, they need to do this thing. And so notice in verse 15, Now, now my eyes, uh, mine eyes shall be open." And mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may, uh, may be there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And so, again, he's, 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 he's confirming to Solomon, I'm in this. This is of me. I have given my, uh, my, my presence here. And as for thee, if thou wilt walk, and notice this, before me as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I have commanded thee, and shalt observe my statutes and my judgments. Then will I establish the throne of thy kingdom according as I have covenanted with David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man to be ruler in Israel. But if ye turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and to worship them, then will I pluck them up by the roots of my land which I have given them in this house which I have sanctified for my name, will I cast out of my sight and will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all the nations. They're saying there's a lot at stake here, Solomon. If you don't continue to follow me, and, and whilst that high point was great, and whilst it was great that my name was honored, and whilst I have put my stamp of approval, I've sent fire, I've sent presents, I've sent those things that confirm that this is of me. You better be wary, Solomon, to not forsake my way. You better be wary, Solomon, not to forsake the thing uh, that, that I have blessed. And so he's saying there that, that you'll be a proverb, a byword, a, a something, a somewhat of a, a, of, a, of a sight to behold. And this house which is high shall be an astonishment, he says, to everyone that passeth by it, so that he shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto this land, unto this house? And, and it shall be answered because they forsook the Lord, God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them and served them. Therefore hath he brought all this evil upon them. And he's saying there, don't be a statistic. 
Don't be just another thing that, that, that used to be, that had the presence of God, that was uh, at a high point. And, and you know, um, if you study uh, through the, 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 uh, the geography of where the temple was, is, it was literally a high point. It was literally at a high, uh, at a high vantage point there in, in Israel. And, and we understand that, that God was, was, was trying to just lay it down for Solomon. And he's saying, you're at a high point, but be warned. You're at, a, you're at a place of success spiritually. You're at a place where the things that, that I have given in your heart and in your life is now a culmination. It's now current. It's now the norm. It's now the present. But you better take care, Solomon. You better understand that, that you're only always in danger when you're at your most successful. When, you're at your, when you've let your guard down a little bit because you've seen and tasted a bit of spiritual victory. And we better take great care of that. Uh, we, we note here that God makes a plea in the midst of their success. God was indeed pleased with them, but the warning is given them that they ought not take success for granted. You see, we're never in as much danger as, as we, uh, we are when we're in uh, the midst of success. And the momentous occasion here that we read about came with a warning of following after God. And the reality that you're never too far away from relenting the ground that you're, you've taken for the Lord. And I want to encourage some of you who already, it's 2018, and, and we're only early on in our year. It's, it's February. You've made some momentous steps forward. You've taken some ground for God. Uh, some of you young people who, as in my observation and in my estimation, you've moved forward in your faith. I praise God for that. Now, many of you families have uh, rededicated and moved forward in their, in their service for God. And, and your mentality this year is you just want to do more for Christ. Thank God for that. But be warned, there's a danger. We better take great care and put our guard up because it's easy enough to, to relent the ground that we've gained. It's easy enough to go backward in, our, in, in the things that we've seen the Lord do in our lives. And so in the midst of this, we see this plea from the Lord. And it was a plea here that's given us today in verses 14 to 15. It says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. And we're going to examine here these two verses this morning and perhaps learn about this plea that God makes in the midst of our success. And I pray that, that as we navigate through life and as we journey through life and as we, we go through some high points and some successes for the Lord, that we would just be wary. That we, that we would look at this as God's plea to us to readjust and come back to Him. And so let's pray and we'll ask the Lord to bless. I pray, Father, that You'd help us this morning. I pray that You'd just do a work in our hearts that's real. Oh, Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, if there's anyone even this morning They've never put their faith and trust in you, that they'd get that right, that they'd understand their need of you as their Savior. But then also, dear God, that as we observe our own lives as Christians, perhaps there's been some spiritual victory, perhaps there's been some spiritual success recently, that you'd help us, dear God, to, uh, Lord, to realize that, that there's a plea that you're giving us to this morning to continue on. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, especially, Lord God, if we, we've already diverted. And I know, Father, that from experience, that that's so often the case. You return back from a time that you've given to, Lord, edify and build us up. And often the great test is when we return back to the norm.
And so I pray that you'd help us, Lord, if we've, we've already deviated from that, uh, to get back and to, 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 um, to, to hear the plea from you this morning. I pray for your power. I pray for your enabling. I pray that you help each hearer this morning. In Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. Notice there, verse 14. And we'll, we'll just be here this morning as we, we look at this passage. Look at verse 14. If my people. If my people. And, and, and church, it starts with a choice. It says, if my people. And so, so it starts there. And, and this, this if is going to come through right, right through as we, we think about the specifics here. But it says, if my people. If my people. You know, um, you understand this morning that, that, that our... Um, the, the success that we have and, and the spiritual growth that we have, really the onward, the onward um, growth of that and opportunity of that is really always our choice. It's up to us. He says, if, my people. And, and so at this point, his plea starts with a question. He starts with a choice. Uh, how we respond then to God's warnings and God's chastening can often mean the difference between continued success or judgment. And here he's, he's, he's highlighting for them in verse 13 that, that, you know, I can send these. I can chasten you. You know, if you in the midst of success start to deviate and start to move away from the thing that I have blessed, then I can chasten you. But he's saying here that, that how you respond to that, if then, my people. How we respond to God's warnings and chastening can often mean the difference between continued success or judgment. See, how, how do you respond when God confronts you? How, how do you respond when God highlights something, and, and even if it was the smallest thing, even if it was just a, a certain thing that, that you know, you, you've, you've sort of just started to deviate from, uh, how, do, how do you respond when God confronts you? I think about a story in the Bible uh, about David, how uh, you understand David had sinned, and, and at that point, he, God sends his prophet Nathan to confront David. And remember what, David's, uh, what Nathan's uh, accusation was to, to David. And after telling that story, he says, Thou art the man. He points right at David. And, and it could have been that at that point, David could have gotten bitter. David could have, uh, could have, um, could have denied it. David could have just moved away from it and, 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 and just responded negatively to it. But we know David, he was broken about it. He responded well. And how do you respond when God confronts you? You know, so often we, we don't like to hear the kind of messages and the kind of uh, preaching where it is, it's up to you, but it's confrontational. We don't like to be heard. Or we don't like to hear where, where God might point out in His Word and the preacher just expounds upon it, that, that thing that God is trying to confront you with, we don't like that. But in the end, it's if. It's your choice. How you respond to that will greatly determine your continued success or judgment. And, and God starts the plea by putting the ball in your court. See, the ball is in your court this morning. You know, you, you're, you're already, many of you already attended one, uh, one class, we had Sunday school. And, and perhaps, uh, I'm not sure what the ladies' session was like, but, but there was confrontation already in the men's session. I wonder how we responded to that already. I wonder how ment our mentality is this morning because it's up to you. The ball is in your court. God's not just going to force your hand in this. He says, if my people, if. And I think about in Second Chronicles 15, 
verse 2, another, another, um, another king, and he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while ye be with him. And then notice this, and if ye seek him, will he be found of you? But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. And, and what I'm saying this morning is just like that. It's a big if, you will. If. The ball is in your court. We must make the choice to respond to him. We must make the choice when confronted uh, with, with deviation, when confronted with the thing that might derail our spiritual success, our spiritual victory. We must respond, but the response is up to you. You know, too often we, we just want to hear things that, that, that perhaps are, are of knowledge, and it's good to listen to, to messages and listen to teaching that just furthers your knowledge. You know, tonight, Lord willing, we're going to go through and continue our series on uh, on dispensational truth, and that's just, that's, that's very heady, isn't it? It's knowledge, it's doctrine, it's good. But often, what the Bible brings us to is this question first, if. He confronts us. And he says, firstly, he starts with a question, if, my people. But then he continues here with a reminder. Notice here in verse 14 again, it says, if my people, which are called by my name. And don't forget here the, who he was speaking to and who was speaking. This was their God and this was God's people. All right? Now this morning as we are, we are listening here, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, just quickly survey the room. And, and I think I understand that, that the majority of us here are probably God's people. You're saved. And this morning as, as the plea comes out in the midst of success, this wasn't just a, a, a question uh, this wasn't just a choice, but this was a plea that has a reminder, you're his people. See, he pleads, he pleads to a people called by his name. He was reminding them of his ownership of them. They are his people called by his name. And, and I want to remind you this morning that often when, we're, when God is trying to, uh, to speak to us and God is trying to confront us, that he doesn't do it from a vantage point of you being a stranger to Him. He's doing it from a vantage point of you being His child and He being your Father. He's doing it from the vantage point of you being the one who him, whom He has saved and you, Him being your Savior. He does it from a vantage point that you, are a, uh, that you have a friend in Him that sticks closer than a brother. That you are a people that is of his kinship, that you are his family. And so this morning, he, he wasn't pleading with strangers. He wasn't pleading uh, with, with someone he didn't know. He was pleading with his people, whom he had redeemed, whom he had rescued from Egypt, whom he had called his own. And I want to remind you this morning, uh, as a church, as a Christian, that when God pleads with you, he pleads with you because he knows you. He pleads with you because He knows you better than anyone else. He pleads with you because He cares for you and He loves you and He wants to remind you that you are a people called by His name. See, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 3.15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And, and you know what? You might have a different surname. You might have a different last name based on your earthly heritage, but all of us are people called by His name. If you're a Christian here this morning, then, then this family is named after God, named after Him. And God makes a plea from the standpoint of a loving Father whose children bear 
His name. And this morning, He just simply wants to plead with you. Maybe you have had some spiritual success. And He's pleading as a reminder that you are called by His name. You know, as a father, I understand that. You know, there's things that my children ask for. Um, recently, as I got back uh, from my trip, um, I don't know, my, my wife must have been teaching my, my kids some things, and, and, and Jaden has now started to learn how to say please. But he does it in a special way. He goes, please, 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 please. How do you say no to that? <laughs> but he's, he, he's pleading, and, and you know what? I'm inclined, not only because it's cute, <laughs> but I'm inclined because he is my child. I have a relationship. There's a positional thing there, but there's a relational thing there. Now, that would be different if it was another child. Now, I, I like children, but if they're not my children, I would be inclined just to say no, all right? They could plead all they want, but I'm more inclined to say no. But there's not that relationship so, so much. Does that make sense? And so when the Heavenly Father, he, He's reminding us, this plea starts with a question, the ball's in your court. But I'm going to plead to a people called by my name. And listen, this morning, it might, it might be, there might be some things further in the year. There might be some things today that God's confronting you about. But don't forget who's confronting you. Don't forget who who's, who's you are. See, the Bible, again, reminds us that we are bought with a price. That, that we are not our own. That we are a people called by His name. And if you're a Christian here this morning, He does so with the view that you are His. And He does so with your best in mind. He does so with a loving care. And it might be hard. And there's some things that I tell my children that are hard for them, for them to hear. That, that, that is, a, is, a, is a heartfelt plea for a change of behavior, of a change of a mindset. But I do so from a, a Father who loves them. And how much more our Heavenly Father, whose, whose name we are called. How much more when He pleads with us, when there's things that He's confronting us about and and don't forget that when he, he makes a plea to you and I. But then it continues on with, it specifies what's needed. And in verse 14, he says this, if my people which are called by my name. And here's the, here's the thing that, that we are to do. He says, if you would humble yourself and pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. And here it specifies what's needed. He says, humble yourselves. He says, humble themselves. And so, the question at hand is if you would do this, right? If you would, humble yourself. So the first thing is humble yourself. We know that humility is something that God is attracted to. We, we know the Bible tells us that, that he, he resisteth the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. We understand that, that, uh, that there's, there's those things that God hates, six, but He really says seven, and twice he says pride. And God hates pride. And so if, if we are to come to, to, uh, to the Lord, if we would just listen to his plea, it would be in this way that we would humble ourselves. You know, there's, there's much that we can say about humility, about being humble. But really what humility is, is humility is having a right estimation of yourself. It's having a right measure. Uh, you know, when God confronts you and I, unlike us who have tainted views of self, God is a perfect view of man. He knows you. 
And so he's saying, no, no, buy into my estimation here. You need to return. You need to come back to, to a place of, of, of victory. You need to understand that you're in danger here. And he's saying, firstly, humble yourself. Humble. Humble yourself. You see, all of us here, we, 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 can, we can view ourselves a certain way. And maybe you're, you're short here today and you tell, your, tell yourself and tell others you're tall. You, you might, you know, anyone can be tall. You just have to use the kind of ruler that makes you tall. That, that's why there's standard measurements, isn't there? I read this morning, uh, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. But a just weight is his delight. You know, we like to think that we're not that heavy and so we, we play with the scale a bit. And we, we, we try to view ourselves in, with, with some sort of skew, some sort of, and really what he's saying is now humble yourself. Have, have a right estimation. Use the right measure. You know, we ought to look at the perfect law of liberty. We ought to look in the mirror of the law of liberty and, and see ourselves for what we are. And that's, that's what humility is. That's what humbleness is. And he's saying start off there. Humility here is needful. Why? Because we're responding to a plea for correction. You know, it's, it's easy for us to just deny. And I'm sure you've done this as a child, perhaps. You've done it, but then you say, no, I didn't do it. And, and you know, I, I watch uh, some sport and I watch a lot of basketball. And, and you know, one of the things this, in this season in the, in the NBA, the, the U.S. basketball uh, competition, is that there's a great disparity between uh, there's a great debate between the referees and the, the players, and the players have been complaining way too much, and I agree with that. They have a different standard to the referees. And, and sometimes we're like that with God. He, he whistles us for a transgression, and we reply, and we, we, we try to reason it out. And you know what that is? It's, that's not humility. That's pride. And we better, we better just do away with pride in our lives. And we better just have some humility and humbleness when, when God pleads, this, this, this Specifics are these, humble yourself. I wonder if we would humble ourselves this morning. I wonder if we would humble ourselves to, to think and, and not look at the, the speaker, so to speak. Not, not look at the one presenting, but look at the Word of God. And understand that, that as God pleads, He's pleading with you. And so He says, humility is needful. It's understanding that you need to, to come to God instead of persisting in your own way. And then secondly, He says, and pray. The, the next specific thing is this, pray. It says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. And this month we've been focusing on prayer. And, and you know, prayer is a big if in our lives, isn't it? Prayer is really, you, you, can't, you can't be forced to pray, really. But prayer is up to you. You, you. How you treat prayer, how you view prayer, how you choose to pray in situations, that's up to you. And he says, if my people shall humble themselves and pray. And I want to ask you this. I wonder if you pray. I wonder if you're the type of person when, when God is, 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 um, is dealing with you, maybe even in the midst of success, that you would just kneel down and pray or take some time to pray. I wonder if uh, you would just get some clarity from God. And, and maybe it's this, you know, sometimes we, we, we're waiting on God to say something to us when really he's just waiting for us to get clarity from him through prayer. 
Maybe the ball is in your court, Christian. Maybe that thing that you're seeking for, maybe that thing that God's trying to bother you about, maybe they just need some clarification through prayer. We know. We know that prayer is important. We know that prayer is, is a privilege that God has given each and every one of us uh, as Christians. We, we, we don't have to go through another. We can go straight to God even in this matter of prayer. And I hope that this, this month it's not just a, a catch-all thing that we see on the screen. Not just You don't have the mentality that it's just some gimmick that we're trying to encourage you to pray. I hope that you understand we're doing those things to encourage you to pray because it's true and it's right. That it's a good thing. That it's a great thing. That, that prayer is not just preparation for the work. Prayer is the work. That prayer does change lives. That prayer is so needful in our day. And, you know, have you ever been given the silent treatment by your spouse? Admit it. You don't have to be stony-faced this morning. God knows the silent treatment. And, and you know, um, there's no need to, to give God the silent treatment when He's pleading with you. And sometimes God's pleading with us and we don't even pray. We won't even respond. We won't even come to a point where we would just ask God, what is it? We just give Him the silent treatment. And you ought to pray. Do we take the time to pray when, you're, when we're in the midst of victory or trial? Do we take the time to pray whenever... Uh, whenever uh, we go through whatever circumstance sorry, we go through. Do we take the time to pray? You know, there's never an inappropriate moment to pray. See, the Bible tells us pray without ceasing. I love the illustration that we, we, we got from a youth camp, how, how prayer is really like taking your, your phone and, and shouldering it and, and taking it through the day and talk, just talking to the Lord. Now, prayer isn't just a moment. Prayer is a lifestyle. And prayer ought to be something that we ought to do. And he says, if my people. If my people shall humble themselves. And if my people will pray. But then notice there, the nextly, if we are to seek his face. Notice in verse 14 again, and seek my face. See, seeking his face means that we are looking to him. We are to seek his face to know his concern. You know, in our day where we, so often we text message, don't we? Or we email isn't it so easy to read into a text message or an email? You know, you, you, you send it and, and they mean to be excited, so they do all caps. And you think, they're angry at me. I can't believe that guy. Why aren't they excited? And, and, you, th and you, you misread, you, you read into it. And sometimes we can be like that with the Lord. We, we don't seek His face. We don't look at His, his face his, his countenance toward us. You know why sometimes? Because we're not, we're, we're not so familiar with God. We don't, haven't taken the time to know Him. And I'm not saying that there's some image that we look to. We know that God is a spirit. We know that he, God is the invisible God. But we can certainly know Him, right? We, we can certainly speak to Him. We can certainly get to know His concern. We can certainly read in His Word and, and, and seek His... his um, his heart for us, we can certainly seek His face. And, uh, you know, as Christians, we deal with that invisible God, with, with who He is, but we ought to seek His face in prayer and in faith to know His concern, to know what He's pleading with us for. And this morning, maybe you're in the midst of, 
of great spiritual triumph and, and just things just seem to be happening in your life and things are going well. But listen, there could be something there that's deviating you, detracting you, and you don't even know it, and you just need to seek His face. You just need to ask Him, Lord, is there anything? Lord, show me. And He might give you something, and He might show you, and seek. we are to seek His face. But then notice this, and I want to dwell on this a little bit, and turn from their wicked ways. You know, it's not enough that we just hear from God. It's enough that we hear and we do. There's no point in, in the plea when we're going to ignore the plea or even listen to the plea and not do what we are being, uh, that, what He is pleading us to do. Uh, and we are to turn from our wicked ways. And, and I think here is the difficult one. We, we don't like to hear this one. We don't like to hear that we are to turn from our wicked ways. We, we often don't estimate that, that we have anything that perhaps are, are in our heart. But, but you understand that we live in a wicked world. We live in a day where wickedness is all about us. And if we're not careful, we can be easily desensitized to the conditions of our heart. We can easily fool ourselves into thinking that all is okay. And so he says this, turn Turn from your wicked way. Make an about face and turn away from it. Get away from it. It says recognize it and then turn. We are to turn from our wicked ways. And I think about us as a church. You know, it could be so easy for us as God's people to point outside these walls at the wickedness of this world and not deal with the wickedness that's in our hearts. See, the Bible tells us that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And certainly today, as if you're saved, God has, has given you the Spirit of God to highlight those things, to, to, to ensure that we reckon ourselves dead to sin, that we no longer need to live therein. And understand, though, that that turning must first be preceded by a judgment on ourselves. See, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 4.17, For the time is come, that judgment must begin at the house of God. And how dare we today, how dare we uh, preach and, and, and teach our household on those things that are wicked, those things that are evil, those things that are not right in the, in the world today, and then uh, allow it to abide and allow it to, allow it to fester in our own lives. How dare we go about and, and pronounce judgment on the world when we would not judge ourselves? When it doesn't begin right here. And church, judgment must begin in the house of God. We must turn from our wicked ways. This wasn't simply speaking about the neighboring countries around Israel. This wasn't speaking about other people. No, this was pointed to the people called by His name. And He's saying to them, If my people shall turn from their wicked ways. And I'm not pronouncing judgment on you. I don't know your heart this morning. But you can't hide anything from God. God knows our hearts. God knows the condition that we are in. And we might be saved here and so far away from God and, and we better understand that judgment must begin at the house of God. And, and men, listen, it starts with us, men. It starts with us. 
It starts with us allowing, uh, just judging ourselves in, in how we are as men, how we are in our households. Hey, stop looking at your wife. Hey, stop blaming everything else. Hey, stop looking at, the, at the, the circumstances around you. Look at yourself. Look at the guy in the mirror and judge him first. Allow the Spirit of God to examine that heart and, allow, and be humble enough and be sincere enough and be genuine enough to judge yourself. Hey, judgment must begin at the house of God. Hey, you might judge yourself with how you, the way you're leading your family. Hey, you might judge yourself in how your, your, the direction that you want to take your family, the direction that you want to take in service for God. You might first judge yourself whether you're honest to God, whether you're sincere before God, whether you're doing the things that you ought to do for God before you spat out and blame everyone else and, t- and point your finger at everyone else, man. We better start with us. And, and perhaps, ladies, you better just stop looking at, husband, at your husband and, and looking at those things, the circumstances around you, and maybe you ought to start with you. May the judgment begin at the house of God. And stop using excuses. Stop using other things. Stop, stop thinking that it's the world that we live in. It's the circumstances that we're in. Listen. Turn from your wicked ways. Judgment must begin at the house of God. And I know that doesn't sound like popular preaching today. But I didn't come here to be popular. I just came here to give you the word of God. And I just want you to know, I just want you to, to know that this plea, this plea comes from a loving Father who wants our best. But He's saying, if, if you turn from your wicked ways, and you see, we, we know 1 Corinthians 11, we go there whenever we have the Lord's Supper. He says, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And if we would, if we would just judge, judge ourselves and turn ourselves from our wicked ways, then maybe the Lord doesn't have to chasten us. Maybe the Lord doesn't have to give us some hard preaching. Maybe there's times where God would just, just exhort us and encourage us. But listen, there is a place. There is a place for that. And young people, listen, stop making excuses about the friends that are around you. That's your choice. Stop making excuses about, about how hard it is to live the Christian life in this day. Stop making excuses about, uh, about every situation in your life. Judge yourself. Make judgment. It, it begins in the house of God. Turn from your wicked ways. And, and we need to. We are to turn from our wickedness. We are to, we are to turn about face and, and go this, the opposite direction. We are to be like Joseph, who when he was faced with temptation, turned and fleed from the, uh, the, the scene of the crime, so to speak. And we need to be the kind of people that's sensitive to the Spirit of God. So that when He tells us and He makes a plea, that we would immediately obey. You know what we like to do? We like to reason with God. He'll point something out, but then we'll, we'll come up with an argument. When it's as plain as day, again, humble yourselves, pray, and turn from your wicked ways. But then lastly, and really quickly, it concludes really with a promise. And notice here, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal, heal their land. Notice there, says he'll hear from heaven. Hey, do you want answered prayer in your life? Do you want God to hear your prayers? Then, then maybe answer that if with an affirmative. Maybe if you would humble yourself. Maybe if we would pray. Maybe if we would turn from our wicked ways. It says, then will I hear from heaven. And notice this, and we'll forgive their sin. If we, 
And you know what? If we would choose to listen as our Heavenly Father pleads with us, if we would humble ourselves and acknowledge our wrong, then will our pleading be heard. He will forgive our sins. And here in this sense, it's a sense of restoration. It's a sense of getting back on track. And you know, the amazing thing about our God is this. He's quick to forgive. Can I get a witness there this morning? He's quick to forgive. He's not, he doesn't hold it. He doesn't bash us with it. He's quick to forgive. He's full of mercy. And you know, too often as Christians, we forget who our God is and we hold on to sin for fear that He will hold it against us. Now listen, the Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew our sin, past, present, and future. He knew the totality of our of our sin. He knew, the, he knew the, the immensity of it. He knew the controversy of that sin. And yet he willingly died. He gave up himself on the, on the cross of Calvary. And too often we forget, though, who our God is. And positionally, God has already forgiven us for the past, present, and future sin in him. But practically, I want to say we need to keep short accounts with God. You see, if we would, he makes a promise that he will forgive. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hey, listen, 1 John 1, 9. That, that ought to be memorized. That ought to be, that ought to be something that we, we, we go to every moment. It ought to be that we're sensitive to the wickedness of our own heart and our sin. But then listen, the last one is this, and we'll heal their land. See, the reason we plead with God and the reason He is pleading with us is because we can at times of great success turn away from him. And, and listen, what that means is this, there's a flow-on effect when we're away from God. See, in the midst of success, we better put our guard up. Let any man think that he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. But, but we ought to understand that there's a cost that's not just bearing upon us, but it'll flow on. And, and listen, the, the reason why, he says judgment can come, and, and we spoke, he spoke about in verse 13, where there's no rain, where there's locusts, where there's pestilence, wasn't because he was judging the land per se. No, because he was judging his people. And listen, there's things in our lives that, that maybe are in, in a bit of a chastening mode. There's things that God is, is, is doing in our lives that's trying to get our attention. And it might just be that he will heal those things if we would just answer the plea. See, too often, the, the, the comfort and ease, the success and victory um, lends itself to a lack of awareness of our need of God. And this doesn't only cost us, it costs us those that so depend on our light. You know, when, the, when the, the church of God doesn't judge itself, it doesn't answer the plea of God, you know who's affected? It's not just here. It's our effectiveness out there. We can't be light and salt without this. We can't be witnesses without this. And so, so depending on that, the land really is in judgment because we would not judge ourselves. And listen, if the church and Christians did their job, then the land will be blessed for it. There's a knock-on effect. And live, we live in a day, uh, church, we, we see all around Australia, all around the world, the, the direction that this world is headed, and we under, uh, understand that we're living probably in the last days. There's prevalence of wickedness, and listen, if we would be a light in this great darkness, then we need to first start with us. 
We need to answer to the, the plea. We as Christians, we need to hear His plea. And we need to turn back to Him. If we're going to go out there and be effective witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're going to be a, a lighthouse, if we're going to be light and salt in our day, then we better be the type of people that will answer the plea that we have from Him. We better be the ones that would say that we would return. And too many times we're pointing fingers at the world when it's actually us first that the Lord is pleading with. Has our success as Christians caused us to let our guard down? Uh, in our midst of, of victory, in our high points, He's making a plea. And we need to be weary, wary in the midst of success, in the midst of victory or momentum, that we don't relax and start to neglect our following after God. We need to see that it was, that we need to see to it that we are listening closely this morning to God's plea to return when we start to be detracted and deviating, even if only it was a little from the path He's given us to take. And it's our choice. It's our choice to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. It's our choice not to, uh, not to allow the celebration of victory and momentous occasions to drown out His voice of guidance and care and, and drown out that plea that He has for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You'd help us. Lord, Lord we live in a day well, where our land needs healing. We live in a time where, where it's so easy to, Lord, be pleased with ourselves, with the, the trappings of spiritual success, spiritual victory, and neglect, Lord, that you're speaking to us still. And Father, it'd be so easy for us to walk away today not being concerned that you're trying to say something to us. Lord, it'd be so easy for us to go away unchanged and sort of not even concerned about how it ought to be with you. I pray you'd help us this morning. Lord, would, we, would you help us, Lord, to humble ourselves? Would you help us, Lord, in this moment to pray and, and turn if needed from our wicked ways? Help us, dear God, in, in the midst of, of the things, Lord. And I, Lord, I see, dear God, great, great service, great momentum in our church. And so I pray you'd help us, Lord, not to take that for granted. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit. With heads bowed, eyes.